My name is uh, Pastor Joe Flores. I serve here at Community Alliance Church as our pastor of operations. Uh, this week, Pastor Denny and a number of other people from our church are down in the Dominican Republic. And that's one of the great things about being a part of a church like ours that emphasizes missions. Because this morning, not only are we making an impact here in Butler, but you are part of making an impact thousands of miles away in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. It's all one church making one impact in many different places. So that's an awesome part about being a part of our church. And be in prayer for that group this week as they're serving. They're going to be putting on a, a tin roof and doing VBS and a number of things there. And uh, they need our prayers. So, if you don't know, and fellows, if you don't know this, you do need to know this. Tuesday of this coming week is Valentine's Day. So when you walked in this morning on Valentine's Day weekend, it may be, have been a little bit surprising to see a sermon titled Jailbreak on your bulletin, and then you see a prison cell on our stage. Be honest, did you think we were starting a new series on metaphors for marriage? <laughs> we, we are not. We are starting a, a two-part series this morning. Uh, I obviously will be giving the, the talk this morning on uh, week one. Next week, Pastor Keith is going to be coming up, and he's going to be doing the second part of this series. The series is called Jailbreak, and, and the idea that we're going to be talking about in the next two weeks is, what is it in our lives that imprisons us? And what is the one and the only thing that sets us free? We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 7 together uh, this week. So if you want to get to Romans chapter 7 in your Bibles, that'd be great. You probably, if you didn't bring a Bible, you, you can probably see a Bible in front of you. And one of the seat backs, grab one of those. We'll have the words on the screen. Or you can use the Bible app on your phone. Uh, there's no reason not to follow along this morning. Romans chapter 7. And in a few minutes, we're going to get to how this prison cell behind me ties in. But first, I, I want to set up where we're going this way. So, so uh, this, is, this Community Line Church is the third church that I've had the opportunity to serve in. And I'm one of those blessed pastors. All the churches that I have served in have been great churches. The first church that I was at, I was the youth pastor. And we had this youth worship band that was really, really good. So one spring, they were asked to come to a community worship service and lead worship. But part of the deal was that we had to bring our own sound equipment. Whenever we had to take our sound equipment at that church, it was a giant pain. We kept the sound equipment in this closet off of the sanctuary. Every church has one of these closets somewhere. It was the closet where we put everything that we didn't use anymore and we're probably never going to use again, but we didn't have the heart to throw away. So we just stuck it in the closet. So if you had to move the sound equipment, you had to go into that closet, you had to dig it out from underneath the Christmas costumes from 1984, carry it all the way through the sanctuary, out the lobby to the church van. So that day, we're getting ready to take the sound equipment, and my friend who was helping me, his name was also Joe, we're looking into that closet, and that's when it dawned on us. This would be so much easier if we just got the church van backed it up across the church lawn to the exit doors right next to the closet, and we'll load from here. When you're a youth pastor, half of your good stories start with, there was this one time in the church van, and the other half of your good stories start with, and that's when we thought it would be so much easier if. <laughs> so sure enough, we get the church van, we back it up across the lawn, we load up the sound equipment in record time, and I hop up in the driver's seat, just smiling, so proud of how smart we were. Turn the ignition, 
and I pushed down the accelerator. And that's when something strange happened or did, didn't happen. Normally, when I push down the gas, things around me start to change. I see movement. I didn't see anything moving. I thought, well, maybe if I just push the gas harder. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing, no movement at all. And that's when I look in my side view mirror, and all of a sudden I see all kinds of movement. My friend's back there going like this. And it was a little hard to tell over the sound of the engine, but I think he was saying, stop, stop, stop. I get out of the church van, and sure enough, the rear end is sunk up to the axle in mud. We had failed to realize just how soft the ground was that day. What I did realize was that with the church van and enough horsepower in the right angle, you can fill a 12-foot-high gutter completely full of mud. <laughs> we get out, assess the situation. The side of the church looks like a cake covered in chocolate icing. It was clear we were stuck. What was I going to do? Well, if you're a guy here this morning, maybe you can relate to this. I knew exactly what I wasn't going to do. I wasn't calling anybody for help. I got myself into this mess. I'm getting myself out of it. We tried unloading everything from the van. That didn't work. I tried to talk Joe into standing behind the van and pushing, but he looked at the side of the church, and he didn't want to do that. Got out gravel and sand and anything we could find to stick under the tires to get traction. Nothing could get us unstuck. Finally, I just broke down, made a phone call, got a tow truck, and I bought myself a $100 sermon story. Chances are that you have your own story of a time in your life when you got a car, a truck, or some kind of vehicle stuck. You're probably thinking of it when I was sharing my experience. We've all been there. I, I bring up this story this morning, though, to ask a question. Have you ever felt stuck spiritually? Have you ever felt stuck when it comes to things between you and God? It's like, it's like God is over there, and you can see the life he wants you to live and the relationship he wants you to have with him, but your mistakes, your failures, and the muddy messes that you've made in your life are holding you back. You might use words like trapped or caught or stalled out to describe it, but however you would explain it, you realize that no matter what you try, or how hard you try, nothing, nothing can get you unstuck. And in Romans chapter 7 this morning, we're going to see that the Bible uses a specific word, a heavier word, to describe what our experience can be like when we live our lives apart from God. The Apostle Paul writes these words that we're going to see in Romans chapter 7. And what we've got to know about Paul is he, he wasn't just a, a casual Christian. This guy was one of the greatest followers of Jesus the world has ever seen. And yet, he says that in his own spiritual journey, there were times that he felt like a prisoner. Not stuck, not tripped up, a prisoner to the sin in his life. So as we start out in Romans chapter 7, verse 21, let's look at what in Paul's life and what in ours, our lives can make it seem like we're prisoners of sin. Paul writes there in Romans chapter 7, verse 21, So I find this law at work. 
pause for a second. Law here doesn't mean law like you can't drive a car legally until you're 16. Law here means more of a principle or, or a, a pattern. Paul says, I find this pattern at work in my life. When I step back and I look at my life from a wide-angle view, this is the tendency that I see. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. He says it this way, if you back up a few verses into verse 15. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Parents, have you ever caught your kids doing something stupid? Or kids, have your parents ever caught you doing something stupid? What is the question that parents seem to be biologically wired to ask? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Kids, I'll confess something to you as a parent. We know the answer. We just want to make you say it. The answer always is, I don't know. I don't know why I would do that. When I was five years old, I stuck Vaseline in my sister's hair. The whole jar, my mom reminded me about it yesterday. <laughs> I am sure that they asked me, why would you do that? I don't know. It just seemed like a good thing to do at the time. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I do not understand what I do. He says, I'm the one doing this, and it doesn't make sense to even me. And my guess is, is that you've seen this, do what I don't want to do, don't do what I want to do principle in your own life, right? It's like, I know I should spend 45 minutes on the treadmill, but instead I'm just going to watch 45 minutes of Netflix. Or I, I really want to stick to my diet, but when the waiter comes, I order chicken wings instead of pizza. Or, man, I, I have already got a lot of debt, but man, that outfit is just too cute to, to pass up. I'm going to charge it anyhow. We see this principle in our, in our lives, right? And, and here's the thing. Whether you, whether you believe the Bible as a whole or not, you, you realize that this is probably true for you because it's not just a biblical principle. It's a human principle. In fact, right around the same time in history when the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to the Romans, there was a Roman poet named Ovid who wrote this. We'll put it up on the screen for you. He wrote, I see and I approve the better course, but I follow the worse. You've seen this in your life. You see the, you see the better course. You know the smart thing to do, but sometimes you do the dumb thing. What we have to realize, though, is that here in Romans chapter 7, Paul is not just talking about poor choices and bad habits. Paul says it this way. If you look down into verse, I believe it's 18 and 19. He says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Why? For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Romans 7 is not explaining better and worse. It's explaining good and evil. Let me say that again. It's not explaining better or worse. It's not explaining disciplined or lazy, wise or foolish. It's explaining that in our lives there are times when we want to do good, when we want to do the right thing, 
But instead, we do the wrong thing, the evil thing. We sin. How has this looked in your life? Maybe you, you knew you wanted to study hard and earn the good grade for yourself, but when you're sitting down to take the test and you look over, you see an opportunity to cheat. And so you do. Maybe it's you wanted to be devoted to your spouse, but instead you were unfaithful, physically or technologically. You promised yourself that you would choose your words more wisely, be more careful, but the next time, in the heat of the moment, you lashed out once again and said things that were intended to cut and to hurt. You knew that the right thing to do was to treat that person like you would want to be treated. But you were nice to their face, and then when they walked away, you said horrible things about them. You promised yourself you wouldn't do it again, but nevertheless, you did. And I don't know what the it in your life is, but I know that you do. And here's what I want you to know. If, if any of this is hitting home and you're, you're saying, you're right, I, I do do evil, even though sometimes I really just want to do good. You, you need to know that you're, you're, you're in a church this morning that's full of imperfect people. We're all in this together. You didn't come to a church this morning where we've all figured this out and we've all got it right and you're the only one who messes up. In fact, in fact, if you're here this morning and you are perfect, you might not want to come back because we're all sinners and we're trying to grow. We might mess you up. But if you're here this morning and you say, you know what? I can feel what Paul's talking about. Then you can also resonate with what he writes next in Romans chapter 7, verse 22. He says, For my inner, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. He says, in my inner being, in the part that you all can't see, but that I can see inside, I, I delight in God's law. He says, inside, I, I really I do want to do good. I, I want to do the right thing. I come to church, I hear Pastor Danny talk, and it's like I leave and I, I want to be that person, but there's this problem in my life. And the problem is that my inner desire is disconnected from my outward behavior. My inner desire, the person I want to be, is disconnected from my outward behavior or the person I actually am. And the more we are aware of the disconnection, the more we become aware of our inability to do anything about it. And that's why Paul here in verse 23 says, he begins to feel like a prisoner, like a prisoner of sin. We, we've brought in here this morning an actual prison cell wall. And, and, and so if, if we understand what Paul is saying that in our lives, we are prisoners to sin. That means that sin has literally built around us bars and walls that make us feel like we are trapped inside and that we are, it's designed to keep us from getting out. And, and so, much like an actual prisoner may stand within a prison cell and look out through the bars 
and see the life that he is missing out on. He can see the things that he wants to do, that he wishes he could do, but that he can't. The family that he wants to be with, the life and the freedom that he wants to have, but because of the bars in his life, he is trapped and cannot get out. Much like that, as prisoners of sin, we can look out through the bars of sin and we can see the person that God wants us to be. We can see the husband who loves his wife unconditionally. We can see the mother who takes care of her children. We can see the person in the relationship that God wants us to have, the purpose and joy and freedom in our lives, but we can't have it, even though we see it's there, because bars separate us. A prison of sin. So who, who's in this prison? Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, am I there? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us this. It says that all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have at some point in their lives been imprisoned by sin. That means that the most religious person who never misses church, as well as the atheist who would never step foot in a church. That means that all from the Muslim living in a far-off country to your next-door neighbor, all of us have been imprisoned by sin in our lives. The only difference between these groups of people is how far and in what ways they're trying to reach through those bars to grasp something they can never have. And if what Paul is saying true is true, then that means that at some point our lust or our greed or our selfishness has opened a door to us and said, look, if you just walk inside, I promise you'll be stepping into a palace. And when we choose to do that and when we step inside, a door slams behind us and instead of being in a beautiful palace, we're in a lonely prison cell. And so what do we do? Trapped inside of a cell, we begin to live the life of a prisoner. I knew I was going to be talking about this idea of prison this week, so a few weeks ago I called my brother-in-law, Ryan. He's a prison guard at a federal prison, and Ryan is an awesome storyteller. So I was hoping to get some great stories about some crazy things that have happened in prison, but I actually found out something a little bit different than what I expected. When I got on the phone with Ryan, he said, yeah, I mean, there's times when things in prison get stirred up and we have to go into lockdown, but most of the time, for most of the prisoners, prison life is just about routine. Everything that happens in a prisoner's day is scheduled for them. They, they have no say in it. It's controlled by someone else. When they wake up, when they eat, when they shower, when they go to education, when they go to recreation, when they go to sleep... They no longer make the decisions about what they do. Someone or something else makes those decisions in their life. They don't have control of their own lives. And that's what Romans 7 and Paul are saying here. He's saying, as, as prisoners, when we live our lives in sin, we no longer have the controlling influence in our life because sin is so powerful that even when we want to do good, it's more powerful than we are. In fact, look, look at Romans chapter 7, verse 20. This is what it says there. Again, Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying, now, if I, if I do what I do not want to do, he's saying, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm looking at something I want to be, 
but I just can't be it. No matter how hard I try and how hard I push, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And all he is saying here is that sin is more powerful than your will. It's more powerful than your determination. Now, I, I want to come up for air for a minute, because I realize I'm throwing some heavy stuff at you, and, and, and the, this is a passage of Scripture that's hard. I just want to ask, where, where are you at in this this morning? Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, yeah, I get it. I'm not perfect. But prisoner of sin? Come on, that's extreme. Suppose with me for a moment, though, that the things in your life that you might call slip-ups or weaknesses are really evidence of something that has more control, something bigger. And, and, and what if in your life you're more than just imperfect? What if you are a sinner? What patterns, what feelings, what events in your life would that explain? Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, no argument here, I've been feeling this way for a long time. I've made one mess after another in my life. In fact, my prison cell is so small that I trip over myself every step that I take. Possibly you're here this morning and you're saying, I, I just resigned myself to, to my fate. I can't overcome sin. I'm so tired. I am so discouraged. I've just given in. Some of us here this morning, our prison is the sin of our past. We're not living in a cell made of walls of concrete and bars of iron. We're living in a cell made of walls of guilt and bars of shame. And it's as though someone has come in and has written the stories of the failures of your past and who people have said you are all over the walls. And every day you look around and you're reminded of what you've done. Wherever you're at in this, in this passage, in this picture, we can all resonate with what Paul says next in verse 24. And he writes, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? If you're tracking with what Paul is saying, your only logical conclusion can be what a wretched person I am. I have a problem. What am I going to do? Who's going to rescue me? Rescue me from what? A body that's subject to, subject to death. You see, this is what he's saying. This, this prison wall that we have here on our stage, this one, it was from the Allegheny County Workhouse, right in Blonox. That prison was built in 1869. It was in existence for, until 1971. For over 100 years, prisoners sat behind these walls. Now, the Allegheny County Workhouse was a prison to prisoners who had committed minor offenses. So the people who sat behind these bars knew that if they were just good and did their time, eventually they would be released. But the Bible is saying that our bodies are subject to death. And what that means is that our prison is a little bit different than this one. It's what our justice system would call death row. And that no amount of good behavior over any period of time will ever earn for us our release. Not only does our sin make us a prisoner here on earth, if we are not rescued, then we will ultimately pay the penalty for our sin of eternal death. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says it this way. It says, the wages of our sin is death. If this feels like bad news, it is. This is what the Bible says. And I feel like this morning, I get to be the messenger of bad news to people. Have you ever had to deliver bad news? I, I'll never forget, one of the lasting memories I'll always have is being a teenager and going hunting with my dad and, and one of his closest friends. That, that day we were hunting, we had parked our vehicle at the house of somebody that we knew. We went out in the woods all day. When we came back out of the woods, the person who owned the house, I saw come out and pull my dad aside and talk to him. I wondered what was going on. Then I saw my dad go and spend a few minutes talking to his friend. And later I learned that my dad had to tell his friend that while we were out in the woods hunting, his friend's mother had passed away. I'm like 14 watching this happen. And I'll never to this day forget the car ride back because it took us about an hour to get to where we were hunting that day. It was quiet. It was awkward. There wasn't anything that really could be said because the news that my dad delivered was faithful and it was final. The news of Romans chapter 7 is faithful because it, it does speak of some disastrous consequences. But it is not final because there is more to be said. There is something that can be said that will change this news. And that's what we find in Romans 7.25. Paul writes there, Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. This is, so this is like the biblical version of the action movie where the hero of the movie discovers a van with like this giant bomb in the back. And there's this big LED clock that's saying 10, 9, 8. And you realize that, that there's not enough time to call the bomb squad. The hero has to defuse it himself. And thankfully, he just has a pair of snips right in his back pocket. So he pulls them out. And he goes, red wire, blue wire. Choose wrong and you'll blow up the whole city. And, and the hero... Five, four, he, he puts the snips on the wire. He closes his eyes and, and everybody opens their eyes and they're still there. And everybody erupts, everyone's excited. The city's been saved. He's kissing the, the, the pretty girl that you've been waiting for him to kiss the entire movie. It's like the moment. This is the moment. This is the moment, folks, in the body. Like, he says, thanks be to God. To those who've given up hope, to those who've, who've felt like they've been desperately trying to overcome the failures in their lives, to those who felt the weight of the guilt and the walls of shame just coming in on them, he says, there's hope, there's forgiveness because of Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying, if, you're, if you are in this prison cell, it cannot be opened from the inside out. Nothing you can do, no matter how hard you push, can open it, but it can be opened. It can be opened. It has to be opened from the outside in. And Jesus is saying to you today, I have the key. This is the message of the gospel. This is what this whole book is about. It's that God loved us so much that he did not want to leave us in our prison of sin. And so he, said that he sent the most valuable thing in the entire universe that he had, his son Jesus. And he sent him to earth and he said, you give up your perfect life to pay mine and your penalty. 
for sin. And so Jesus came, and he doesn't just stand outside of our prison cell, and he doesn't just come to our lives to make us feel a little bit better. The Bible says that Jesus came with the key and he opens the door and he's standing outside of that prison cell and he's saying, let me set you free. I have forgiveness for you. I have hope for you. I have a life of purpose for you. Leave your prison of sin and come to me. Pastor Jim pointed me to an awesome quote this week from Tim Keller, and I just want to share it with you. We'll put it up on the screen. It says this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Our prison cell, it's worse than we thought. But at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This morning, Jesus is offering you hope. He's offering you forgiveness. He's offering you a second chance. Because of Jesus, what's written in Romans chapter 8, verse two could be true, 1 and 2 could be true for you. Because of Jesus, in your life, you can therefore now have no condemnation. The guilt, the shame, the hurt, the sorrow that you felt in there you can step into Jesus and it can be gone. No condemnation. Not because of anything you did, but because in verse 3, through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of death set me free from the law of sin and death. There's two groups of people here I want to talk to this morning. The first group is this. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never in your life experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. And yet this morning, as we read these passages from Scripture, and as you looked at that prison cell, you thought, this is for me. I, that's me in there. I need forgiveness. I want you to know that those thoughts that were in your head, they're, they're not coming from me, and they're not coming from you. That's Jesus speaking to your heart and saying, come to me. Let me forgive you. Let me set you free. In a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. You know what you need to do. I don't have to tell you. You need to step out of that jail and find the freedom and joy and forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ. There's another group of people here this morning, and maybe this is you. There was a point in your life where you got this idea of forgiveness, and you experienced Christ's forgiveness, and you can remember the weight that was lifted off of your shoulders and the freedom and joy that you felt. But since then, bar by bar and block by block, you've allowed sin to build a prison around you once again. And now your life has once again come to represent the life of a prisoner of sin more so than a follower of Jesus Christ. And the message to you today is the same as it was then. Your sin might be big, but Jesus' forgiveness is bigger. What in your life do you need to ask God for forgiveness for? Finish with a short story. 
There's an old story about a little boy who went to visit his grandparents on their farm. When he was on the farm, they gave him a slingshot to play with out in the woods. So he spent the day out in the woods with his slingshot, and no matter what target he shot at, he just couldn't hit it. It's coming up on dinner time, and he heads back towards the farmhouse, and he's frustrated and discouraged, and he sees Grandma's pet duck walking over there, and just without thinking, pulls that slingshot back, whap! He hits Grandma's duck and kills it. He's panicked. He's grieved. He doesn't know what to do. So he gets the dock and he, he hides it behind the woodpile. And just as he's coming out from the woodpile, there's his little sister looking at him. She doesn't say anything. They go inside. The next day, after lunch, Grandma says, Sally, I need you to help me clean up the dishes. Sally says, oh, Grandma, Johnny said he'd love to help you clean up the dishes. <laughs> she gives him the smile. I know what you did. Johnny cleans up the dishes. Later that afternoon, Grandpa comes and says, kids, you guys want to go fishing? And Grandma says, you know what? I need Sally to help me cook dinner. Sally says, oh, Grandpa, Johnny loves to cook. I'm sure he'd be glad to stay back and help you. Sure enough, Johnny stays and Sally goes fishing. Well, this goes on for a couple days. And finally, Johnny just has had it. He's tired of doing his chores and his sister's chores. And so he goes to Grandma in tears and says, Grandma, I killed your duck. And Grandma got down on her knees in the way only a grandma can and says, Johnny, I, I know. I saw the whole thing out the window. I love you and I've already forgiven you. I just wanted to see how long you would let your sister make you a prisoner to what you did. How long, how long are you going to let your sin make you a prisoner? How long are you going to let the things in your life hold you back from the relationship and the forgiveness that Jesus wants to give you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer for us. And then Ron and some other band members are going to sing a song. When we sing, I invite you to stand up and sing with us. But if you're here today and you need that forgiveness that Jesus can give you, while we are singing the song... I want you to come forward. We have elders from our church, people who care about you, want to talk to you. We will pray with you this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. This, this is the best news that the world has ever received, that Jesus has set us free. It's bigger than any win by our favorite team or, or anything else that we could ever find out in the world. Jesus loves us, he forgives us, and he sets us free. God, may each person here this morning not leave this place without experiencing that forgiveness in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please stand with us and sing. If you would like to come forward this morning and ask God to forgive you, please come while we are singing. We will be glad to pray for you. There is power in Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus, break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, you're the all-sufficient sacrifice so freely given
Thank you for being here this morning. I ask you to go quietly. Ron's going to continue to play. If you would like prayer, if God's working in your heart, come forward. We'll wait. We'd love to pray for you. Don't forget, next week, Pastor Keith is going to preach part two to this series. You don't want to miss it. We'll hope to see you next week.